Hey there, welcome to LiveWire. I'm your host, Luke Burbank. We've got a great show in store for you this week with a wide range of interesting and talented guests, starting with Lacey Mosley. She's a comedian. She was on season two of A Black Lady Sketch Show on HBO. She's also got this hit podcast called Scam Goddess, where she talks to her guests about scams that they've experienced, sometimes as the scammer, sometimes as the scammy. We're also going to talk to Oscar award-winning actor Marley Matlin about her latest film project, Coda, which won Best Picture at this year's Oscars. Then we're going to hear some music from multi-instrumentalist Kishi Bashi. He is also, of course, working on a film project because this week we are only featuring people with too much talent. But I will also be here to average things out talent-wise, so I've got you covered. That is the plan for this week's show. It's going to be a fun one, so stick around. It all gets started right after this. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of LiveWire is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you can call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, Elena. Hello, Luke. Do you want to play a little station location identification examination? Very much so. Okay, this is where I'm going to uh, tell Elena about a place in the world where Livewire is on the radio. We'll try to figure out where I'm talking about. This city is home to an annual Earth Day celebration called the Procession of the Species, which features a parade of costumes, non-motorized floats, and puppets with animal and element themes. There are some rules, though. No live pets, no motorized vehicles, candy, or words for this Earth Day get-together. Uh... I've got a follow-up hint, but if I give it to you, I feel like you're going to know it right away. I want it. Give me the follow-up. <laughs> Make it's me feel better. It's sort of considered to be the birthplace of the riot girl feminist punk rock movement from the 90s. Oh, uh, Olympia, Washington. That's exactly right. <laughs> you ever Kinney. driving on I-5 and you see the Slater-Kinney exit? That's right. <laughs> can't not think about that band. Uh, that's where uh, we are on the radio on the AM frequency of KUOW. KUOW Ooh. AM in Olympia, Washington. Should we get to our radio show? Let's do it. All right, take it away. <laughs> From PRX, it's Livewire. This week, comedian and podcaster Lacey Mosley. We all know after 2020, <laughs> Daddy Government went out for a pack of cigarettes and never came back. We were like, Daddy, help us. And actor Marley Matlin. I've seen too many times when hearing actors 
play deaf characters as if they were costumes you could put on and take off at the end of the day. With music from Kishibashi. I'm your announcer, Elena Passarello, and now the host of Livewire, Luke Burbank. Hey, thank you so much, Elena Passarello. Thank you, everyone, tuning in all over the country, including Olympia, Washington, home of, I think, one of the great college mascots in America. What's that? Evergreen State Gooey Ducks. <laughs> the Gooey Duck. Oh, yeah. Not a very active uh, no. mascot. No, it's a mascot that just kind of wants to mostly be left alone, which yeah, I can kind of get down with. Until somebody with a PVC pipe comes in. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we have a great show in store for y'all this week. Uh, we are asking an audience question. What's the worst scam you ever fell for? This is related to Lacey Mosley's podcast, Scam Goddess. Uh, we've gotten a bunch of responses to that question. We're going to Read those coming up in the show. First, though, we got to kick things off with the best news we heard all week. This is our little reminder at the top of the show that there is some good news happening out there in the world. Elena, what's the best news you heard all week? Well, um, it's a new trend, a hot new trend. <laughs> That's unfortunately right. a reaction to a gross new trend, which is the trend of banning books. The American Library Association estimates about 800 challenges last year uh, to schools, universities, and libraries for their materials. And they think that's probably a really low report number. It might be as much as twice that. And we've all heard the stories about like Toni Morrison novels being banned and Mouse and whatever. Well, uh, the cool thing is that a lot of communities and professional organizations are starting banned book clubs. And this CNN report that I read talks about an eighth grader in Cutstown, Pennsylvania, who noticed a lot of the banned books that were being announced were books that she'd already read and loved, and that really changed her perspective because they gave her insights into people who were very different from herself, because these books that are banned often depict uh, the experiences of marginalized people. Mm -hmm. So she started the banned book club at her local indie bookstore, Firefly Books. They've been reading classic and contemporary titles. They read Animal Farm. There are a lot of banned book clubs that are doing things like this, like the Common Ground Teen Center in Washington, Pennsylvania, who just read Fahrenheit 451. Mm. This is actually a tradition that's been going on for a long time. In Tacoma, Washington, there's a place called King's Books that's been doing this for a decade, meeting and talking about books that have been banned for one reason or another. I think they're most recent title that they read was The Color Purple. But here's something cool that we all can kind of join in on. There is an institution called Reclamation Ventures that just started this website called bandbooksbookclub.com. You can subscribe to it and every month they'll send you a banned book or you can donate to it and they're going to put banned books in the hands of students and young readers everywhere. Or you can use it to see links to activist resources. And they send you great books like In the Dream House by Carmen Maria Machado, Beloved by Toni Morrison, Mouse by Art Spiegelman, The 1619 Project. So at least there's a little bit of that good coming out. Yeah. I mean, if you look at any kind of you know historical footage, it's never seen as a good thing when people are throwing the books into a giant bonfire at any point in history. No. When you see that footage, they're never like, and that was a great time for that right. country. It was the dawn of a new enlightened age. No, that never happens. Also, there's nothing that teenagers like more than being rebellious. So this mm-hmm. is harnessing the rebellious instincts of a teenager in a really positive direction of like, hey, they don't want you to read this book, so we should definitely <laughs> check it out. 
The best news that I saw this week is coming by way of Egypt, where a guy named Omar Hagazi, he's 31 years old, he broke two Guinness World Records recently for swimming underwater while holding his breath. What's kind of notable about it is that Omar Hagazi, uh, he only has one leg. He is an amputee. Whoa. He was in a motorcycle crash back in 2015. He was hit by a truck Whoa. and injured quite badly, and unfortunately... They had to amputate one of his legs, and he says that he was just feeling pretty despondent, as one might, as he was convalescing, because he really had to relearn how to do all kinds of really simple life tasks now that he's only going to have one leg. And then he was cruising around on the internet, and he saw this other guy, an amputee from Lebanon, who had broken the world record for the longest static wall sit. <laughs> so that's just where you like sit against the wall. Yeah. Anybody who played basketball remembers when the coach would be like head over and do wall sits. That was, oh yeah, you know, a special ring of hell. Well, uh, our guy Omar, he saw this other guy from Lebanon who had set this world record. Uh, somebody who was fellow amputee. He also saw this guy in Kuwait who uses a wheelchair who had broken the record for fastest ten kilometer scuba dive. Whoa. And it really changed his perspective. He started to realize, like, okay, my body is different now than it was before the accident, but it doesn't mean I can't still do amazing things. And so there's this footage of him swimming in this pool for, like, well, he did it with and without a fin. So without a fin, he went about 185 feet, which is, like, half over half of a football field. And then with a fin, he went 251 feet. This is on one breath. With one leg. One fin. (laughs) And it was like strong memories to me of the most fun thing you can do when you're a child, which is holding your breath underwater contests at the Motel 6 pool. Oh, yeah. With your siblings. (laughs) Um, But it's just really incredible to see what this guy was able to do and has been able to do, even though, you know, he's had to sort of learn how to live his life differently. But I thought it was pretty inspirational. I also do not want to run into him at the Motel 6 pool if we want to get in a contest. Yeah, he'll smoke you. Think how many times he could do a Motel 6 pool at that rate. He could be like 40 times across and back. He could, could like, if you took all the Motel 6 pools and laid them end to end, he could swim through (laughs) them all. He'd just be just going through there with his swim fin, just setting all kinds of records. (laughs) People exceeding uh, maybe even their own expectations for themselves. That's the best news that I've heard all week. All right, let's welcome our first guest on over to the show. You know when you meet someone and you just kind of immediately want to be their new best friend? You're Mm -hmm. just like, ah, I love this person's vibe. That is, I think, how you're going to feel about our next guest. At least that's certainly how I felt uh, when we got to meet her. She's the host of the podcast Scam Goddess. She's also in the second season of HBO's A Black Lady Sketch Show. And she's in the reboot of the iconic kids TV show iCarly, which I'm like, a few years too old to have totally, like, have, have it be in my wheelhouse, but everybody, like my daughter's age, tells me that iCarly was everything <laughs> when they were growing up. Take a listen to this. It's our conversation with Lacey, recorded last April. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> right? We are so happy to have you here. We're big fans, uh, mm-hmm. both uh, of the uh, sketch show and also your podcast, which I want to talk about in a minute. First, though, I want to find out, like, what life was like for you as a kid growing up in Dallas? Were you into comedy? Were you and your friends like making sketches and recording them on your phones or whatever? Like, what, what was that like for you? 
Oh, yes. I've always been into comedy. I told my mother when I was five that I wanted to be an actor. And um, she got me some headshots. And, honey, I was at the mall trying to get involved in every scam. Okay, John Robert Powers, Barbazon. Barbazon. on the radio. <laughs> Little Lacey was going to be there, honey. Okay. I was like, we heard this on the radio. We heard to become a star tomorrow. Um, so. Did you book anything? Like, were you in some local, like, Dallas stuff? Well, my mom actually didn't want me to be a professional actor at five. She kind of was like, yeah. And then she was like, girl, I don't want you to be out here on drugs, child. So we're going we're gonna to let you wait. And and I, look, there's plenty of well-adjusted peop- actors who were child actors and child stars. But there's also a lot who, you know, went through the dark sides of Hollywood. So I appreciated my mom wanting to protect me. And also knowing that I was the type of kid who was probably going to fall for it. <laughs> she, knew, she knew what kind of child she raised. So she was like, listen, we're going to let you get older and more mature. Um, so I just mostly took classes and would film fun videos with my friends um, that were absolutely ridiculous. And um, I did theater my entire life. Mm. So, yeah. Then you got to L.A. eventually. And I know you uh, were part of Upright Citizens Brigade, which is mm-hmm. uh, one of the big like improv places in L.A. One of the things I've always wondered about that, everyone talks about like classes. I'm taking classes at UCB. What mm. are you learning in those classes about how to be a better improviser, performer, how to get funnier? Like, what's the curriculum of those classes? Um, it's it's a lot of math, which like you're not Ooh. actually doing physical huh. math, but it's learning the math of comedy, you know, and how to use what you have to the best of your abilities. Huh. And so, you know, a lot of times we say comedy comes in threes, you know, you like that's how you'll hit a joke or, you know, what or specificity like that's the kind you know what I mean? Like there's a difference yeah. between being like I was following you for three miles or I was following you in my four pencil with a diaper on for three miles. Like, <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, you know, so. Just learning like how to use what you have to the best of your abilities, which is why I love UCB, because they didn't try to make me something different. They were just like, what do you have? What can you bring to the table? And like, how can you use that? So, yeah, it was Mm. fun. What was it like for you getting a Black Lady sketch show? I mean, did you audition? Did they come see you at UCB? What was that like? So it was crazy, actually, because I saw the first season and I was so excited to watch all these funny black women. But I was also like, wait a minute, I didn't even get an audition for this. Like, hold on. Or skr, skr. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, immediately I was texting my agents like, if this comes back around, if they get a second season, like, I have to be in the room. Like, please, I don't care what we got to do. Um, you know, tell them I'm Gabrielle Union. And then when I show up, I, I, I just won't be like, we'll just scam them. You know what I mean? Like, whatever we got to do. So I was really excited when it came back around. And I auditioned and the audition was crazy. It was like I had to play like five characters talking to themselves. And so I was mm-hmm. just like throwing my braids over my face and like doing accent. It was like crazy. <laughs> so they call me and they tell me that they wanted me for the job. But unfortunately, because I was shooting this other show, Florida Girls, at the time, oh, there was a conflict. And so I couldn't do it. And I was crushed. And then cut to the pandemic, <laughs> which um, we were right about to go shoot Florida Girls. And um, Tom Hanks got the Rona and the NBA shut down. And I was yeah. like, "Woo, well, child, pack it up. Um, and people that like, was a crazy weeks. day. Yeah, <laughs> it was an insane day. <laughs> uh, this is a live wire house party. We're talking to Lacey Mosley. Uh, she's uh, one of the regulars on a black lady sketch show. She also has a great podcast called The Scam Goddess podcast. Um, In season two of A Black Lady Sketch Show, you are in a particular sketch where you, the premise is you're twerking and (gasps) a guy is getting very 
um, bored with the twerking. He's getting very, he's getting sleepy. I don't want to give away the reveal, but let's just say oh, yeah. he's not super interested and you keep upping your twerk game. I have so many questions about this. One, did you actually know all of these different dance moves and versions of twerking that you're breaking out? And also physically, what was it like to do that sketch? Because just the part that made it onto screen looks exhausting. Yeah. And I'm sure there was like five extra hours of twerking that didn't get in there. Probably around more 14 hours. Oh my um, gosh. <laughs> I lost four pounds on set that day just because it was mm. just twerking all day. And some of the moves I knew already, and there was a choreographer. She does like Beyonce's choreography. She's like so fantastic and talented. Mm. Um, but she was teaching me new moves, like in between setups and stuff. So there was a lot going on. Mm. <laughs> wow. And um, you auditioned for the sketches. So I had to audition for the twerk sketch on Zoom. So I was literally like doing back bends on my couch. <laughs> and like trying to twerk and like somehow fit it in the camera. <laughs> so yeah, I, you know, shout out to people who do OnlyFans. I don't know how y'all managed to twerk into like a camera this small. Like <laughs> I was really hitting the angles. Uh, but yeah, that's how it happened. And I ended up doing a lot of physical stuff in uh, this season and realized like physical comedy is a big part of what I do. And it was really fun. This is Livewire from PRX. We are listening to a conversation we had with Lacey Mosley from Scam Goddess and a Black Lady Sketch Show. We got to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere because we will be right back. Hey, Elena. Hey, Luke. I didn't see you there. It's that time of year again. My seasonal allergies are back. Oh, congratulations. But also, it's our spring member drive, which is happening right now through May 17th. Oh, I like that much more than seasonal allergies. Yeah, if you are not yet a member of Livewire's League of Extraordinary Listeners, well, now is the time to do it. Why? Well, because this League of Extraordinary Listeners uh, is what keeps the lights on over at Livewire Inc., uh, which is definitely not the association that we are part of. I'm probably a 501c3. They don't let me near any of the paperwork mm -hmm. or bookkeeping, and it's really better that way. Yes. Point is, we... We are only able to keep doing this show because of support from our members, and we would love it if you could join us in that right now. Plus, there are all kinds of sweet perks, including uh, special discounted tickets to live recordings, on-air shout-outs, exclusive content. Uh, and, Elena, uh, one more thing, that, of course, we would not be a self-respecting public radio show if we didn't offer this. If we didn't offer the most iconic public radio swag of all time, a tote bag. True iconic status. Yeah, but it's not just any tote bag. This is like a really good tote bag. It's got a second zipper, an internal zipper. Yes, whatever you want to put in the tote bag, that's your business, okay? What we're mm -hmm. here to talk about is you keeping Livewire going. So head on over to livewireradio.org to see the various member levels. It does not matter how much you are giving every month to Livewire. It just matters that you do it because it goes a long way for us. So thank you. Vacations, weddings, birthdays, and reunions. Oh, my, there's so much going on. Get the most out of your spring plans by stocking up on pre-alcohol now. Zbiotics pre-alcohol probiotic drink is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Zbiotics produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. Just remember to make Zbiotics your first drink of the night, drink responsibly, and you'll feel your best tomorrow. Go to zbiotics.com slash 
LiveWire to get 15% off your first order when you use LiveWire at checkout. ZBiotics is backed with 100% money-back guarantee, so if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember to head to zbiotics.com slash livewire and use the code livewire at checkout for 15% off. Thank you to ZBiotics for sponsoring this episode and our good times. Welcome back to Livewire. I'm your host, Luke Burbank, here with Elena Passarello. We are listening to our conversation with comedian and podcaster Lacey Mosley, recorded last year. Check it out. Before the break, we were talking about a sketch that you're in in this new season, Lacey, uh, where your character is is twerking, and uh, it's super funny, it's super physical for you. But then at the end of the sketch, there's a kind of a, a series of visual jokes that also then mm-hmm. have a message to them. Oh, right, yes. You know, there's a commentary about black women's needs and how white feminism has let down black women historically. And I was curious about the way that you, when making this show, how you guys sort of balance being funny with also really trying to say stuff that's real and meaningful. Yeah, I mean, one of the great things about a Black Lady Sketch show is um, that that it is written in all Black woman writers' room where they do have the insight and they don't have to then explain certain <laughs> things to people who may not be familiar with them. There's so much freedom and creativity there. Um, and I think that it's wonderful that Robin Thede has created so many fun opportunities that maybe do educate or maybe do say something poignant at the end, but in a way that's you know palatable. And, and we always say it's funny because it's true. So it's like when you see these things and they're brought to you in this manner you're like oh this is hilarious but it's also hilarious because mm-hmm. historically and contextually it's sad yeah. and true um but what you won't see on a black lady scud show is um making fun of trauma which i really have appreciated i mean with everything that's happening with black lives matter and just like you know black people and policing in general like you're never going to see jokes like that where it's mm-hmm. at the expense of black folks and their pain mm-hmm. but you know they try to make jokes that are uplifting things that do need to change and where mm-hmm. we can all laugh but then be like oh well you know that's actually a really good point so mm-hmm. i love that yeah uh, i want to talk a little bit about the scam goddess podcast how did this thing get started like were you just somebody who had been scammed were fascinated with scams like how did you end up hosting this show yeah the whole podcast is a scam um, it's, a, <laughs> <laughs> it's a comedy show and um at the time when i was pitching a comedy podcast kind of around everyone was like well we're inundated with comedy podcasts and you know you're not really famous so like we don't really get the draw you know and then so with true crime and stuff i realized that there's so much true crime and not enough true con which i think Mm -hmm. is more fun because you listen to an episode and there's not going to be like some nice lady getting murdered you know it's gonna be (laughs) people losing money you know sometimes there's something dark but we try to stay away from the darkness but you're gonna have a good time you can laugh at these criminals and you know their fumbles and and everything about it's been a scam like we were spotify's pick of the year in the business category in 2020 <laughs> yeah and right it was so like great. business and i was like yeah the business of robbery what y'all talking about okay <laughs> like rob- robbers were like one of the few people who didn't get a stimulus package and they needed a stimmy how you gonna rob people when they're at home you know <laughs> let's think about that think it was about one of the that. first industries to go down yeah. was mugging it was. nobody was out and about um like i'm I, i'm not trying to like uh you know nominate myself to be on your show but let me tell you my mom Susie burbank wrote the book on scams you Ooh, name it coloring it. contests in, in our town there was like a grocery store that would like you could color like a paper bag at thanksgiving and they'd give you like 10 bucks she had my sisters color in like 
50 paper bags, taking them to every single grocery store (laughs) in our town. It was a whole sweatshop. I mean, she would like go into the dairy department and find the milk that was going to expire and then like go make an offer. Like she just, my mom was working it from every single angle, which is part of why I love your show because you, you really hear people on their grind. You hear about, you know, people trying to hustle and, you know, figure it out. Oh, we stand Miss Burbank, okay? Right? Yes, Susie Burbank. <laughs> we stand. Susie like, B. Right. And that's one thing that we adore is that for the most part, we're punching up. Like a lot of the scams mm-hmm. we talk about are, you know, capitalism, just in general, like how people right. are finding their way through this system that is very oppressive to people, especially when you aren't born with money or opportunities yeah. that other people have. So I love to see a good scam on daddy government because we all know after 2020, <laughs> daddy government went out for a pack of cigarettes and never came back. We were like, daddy, help us. <laughs> We've been giving you money all this time, daddy. Right. And you, you know, it's gone. <laughs> okay, uh, because you're a featured player on a Black Lady Sketch Show, and because you're also an expert on all things sketchy mm-hmm. as the host of the podcast Scam Goddess, Lacey, we wanted to get your expert opinion on a little game that we're calling What's Sketchier? Ooh, yes. I mean, there's nothing <laughs> sketchier than OPP. Which, right. uh, I, don't think we, I don't think we have to. <laughs> if you know, you know. We'll just leave that there for public radio. (laughs) Basically, how this is going to work, Elena has got a series of uh, of scenarios and different kinds of things, and we would like, Lacey Mosley, your expert opinion on what is sketchier, okay? Yes. All right, Elena, take it away. Okay, number one, which is sketchier, someone trying to sell you a Gucci bag in a parking lot or an Uber driver who doesn't follow the directions that come up on the app. Uber driver at 100%. Yeah. If I'm selling you, you know, parking lot purses, mm-hmm. you know what you're getting. Yeah. It's pretty straightforward. <laughs> yeah. If the Gucci came out of my trunk and I'm looking side to side, you know, as we make this transaction, like we all know what's happening. But if an Uber driver is over here tricking me and going out of his way and taking all these different turns, now you're you're taking something professional where I had an expectation on what was going to happen yeah. mm-hmm. and you're scamming me. So, you know, I like an upfront scam, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to make it awkward, but I want to say no offense i promise you the computer knows how to get there better than you do sir right Right? like no this is faster i'm like no there's a lot of a lot of software behind this route that it wants us to take okay i'm kind of going with the software on this Exactly. Like Waze has come up with so many amazing things. I, I love Waze, but also sometimes Waze is a little too much. It'll be like, drive mm-hmm. down this alleyway and through this lady's backyard. Karen yeah. is cool with it. Yeah. And you're going to save 30 seconds on your trip. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so, Okay, number two, which is sketchier, essential oils or Gwyneth's Goop Empire. <laughs> Ooh, ooh, that's hard. This candle smells like my, you know. <laughs> I'm gonna have to go with goop. Sorry, Gwenny. Love you, sis. But at least with essential oils, yeah. Okay, maybe I may have bought like 65 packs to sell to my friends and family, and now I'm just I got oil for the rest of my life. Sure, but at least if you rub some peppermint oil under your nose, aren't you refreshed? Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. So right. at least you're right. still getting something. And with goop, I don't know. With their ties to some sketchy things that are happening right now. I'm just going to have to say, (laughs) sorry, Gwenny girl. Still love you. Still love you. Okay. Which is sketchier, the cash app or Craigslist? 
ooh, that's hard because we all know Cash App is the app for crime. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's sketchy over there. And that's yeah. why we love it. Money comes quick. Basically, Western <laughs> Union on your phone if you need something just real sketchy uh, to send money. Um <laughs> But then Craigslist, Craigslist is an OG of the fraud mm-hmm. and scam department. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you know how many times I've walked down a dark alley and I was like, maybe I'll get murdered or maybe I'll have a great job opportunity. They said, meet him on this alley. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, this lady just ran past me screaming, but you know, I'm going to still see if I can get the job, you know? Um, <laughs> I'm going to have to go with Craigslist. It's an old timey yeah. ancient scam. And yeah. I love it. Yeah. I love that for Craigslist. <laughs> Lacey, thank you so much for coming on the Live Warehouse Party. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This was so much fun. Yes. That was Lacey Mosley right here on Live Wire. <laughs> uh, you can listen to Lacey's podcast, Scam Goddess, wherever you get your podcasts. And also check her out in iCarly and also season two of A Black Lady Sketch Show. Hey, special thanks this episode to Brenda Hunt of Portland, Oregon, and Nathaniel Holtman of Tacoma, Washington. Brenda and Nathaniel are part of the Livewire member community, and they are generously supporting the show with a donation each month, which is a really big deal because we would like to keep doing the show. And that's how we're able to keep doing it, support from folks like Brenda and Nathaniel. So thank you so much, Nathaniel and Brenda, for keeping Livewire going. This is Livewire. As we like to do each week, we ask the Livewire audience a question this week in honor of Lacey Mosley's amazing podcast, Scam Goddess. We asked the listeners, what's the worst scam you ever fell for? And Elena uh, has been collecting those responses. What are people telling us? Here's one from Liz. Liz says, my dad told my sister and me that if you walk on the grass when it snows, it will die. And I didn't find out that that wasn't true until I was in my 30s when I asked my son to stay off the grass because it would die. And my husband looked over and just laughed at me. (laughs) I wonder why that listener's dad wanted them not walking on the grass in the snow. He must have believed it himself. Maybe buried poop. That's, you know, an issue, certainly. I mean, my dad's big thing was get that slip and slide off of there. Or you're killing the grass, which 100% happened. Um, What's something else that one of our listeners fell for that they now consider to be a scam? Here's one from Beth. Beth lives in College Station, Texas, and Mm -hmm. says, I was driving to Austin about 90 minutes west when I heard a voice on the radio say they were cutting down all the cedar trees within a 10-mile radius of Austin. There are a lot of cedar allergies there. I used to live in Austin, and she's right. There's this thing called cedar fever. Whoa. Basically, everyone who's around anyone at any point just points at them and says cedar fever whenever they sneeze in the spring. It's bad. So Beth says, I believed this radio thing because everywhere I looked for my car window was covered in cedar trees. I tried to imagine what they would do with all that cedar, how they would cut it down, but it turns out it was an April Fool's joke. Oh. (laughs) I had friends growing up. They're my parents' friends, really, and they convinced their 16-year-old son that they had gotten in this beautiful truck on April 1st. They had fake paperwork drawn oh, up. No. I think they may have even gotten, like, borrowed the truck from someone they knew and put it in the driveway. Oh. And then the payoff was, you didn't get the truck, Trevor. Oh, poor Trevor. And then what life of crime did he go on to lead? He hasn't been right since, I'm going to tell you that. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> What's uh, another scam that somebody fell for? This is a scam that I probably would fall for. Okay. I don't even know what it means. It's, <laughs> it's an anonymous one. Maybe I sent it in. But the uh, the scam is calling one of those 1-800-How's-My-Driving bumper stickers to report a bad driver. What? I have never called one of those. Is it a scam? So we don't, neither of us know. Uh, my assumption has always been those phone numbers Go to some place, you know, that keeps track of if the drivers of a, for a certain trucking company or delivery service are doing a good job. I assumed like their boss answers. Yeah. But maybe not. Or God. Like he's just keeping uh-huh. track of, you know, mm-hmm. like that's one point off getting mm-hmm. you into the good place if you're driving crappy. <laughs> yeah, we gotta we gotta move how's my driving into the major religions of the world. <laughs> All right. Thank you to everyone who sent in responses to our listener question. We've got another one for next week's show. Uh, which we will pose at the end of this episode. So stick around for that. In the meantime, let's welcome our next guest on over to the show. She is the youngest Academy Award winner for Best Actress in a Leading Role for her work in Children of a Lesser God. She's also made tons of memorable performances on TV shows like Seinfeld, Picket Fences, The Practice, Law & Order, SVU. And as if all that weren't enough, her latest film, Coda, just won the Oscar for Best Picture. We are so excited for her and the entire team of people who put CODA together. So we thought this would be a good time to revisit our conversation with Marley Matlin, recorded last September. Marley, welcome to Livewire. Uh, For our radio listeners who can't see what we're doing, we're also being joined by uh, Jack Jason, who is Marley's longtime business partner and interpreter. Uh, Marley, congrats on all the love this film is getting. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hello, everyone who's listening except for the deaf people who can't hear me. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> no, I appreciate the opportunity to speak with all of you. It's really exciting and it's an exciting time. I thought it was interesting that your character, uh, who is uh, the mother in a, a family where the mother and father are deaf and one of their children is deaf. Um, I don't know how to put this delicately. She's not the greatest mom. <laughs> like she's, let's just say this: she's complicated. Was that part of the attraction to the role? Well, I mean, I, I, I'm a mom of four, and I know how difficult it is. Jackie and myself as mothers, we have strong maternal instincts, if you want to put it that way. Mm. So it's just that we approach it a different way. I mean, she had a different experience than I did growing up. Jackie did. I wouldn't say she was not a good mom. Mm-hmm. Um, she's just a different kind of mom in that, you know, she left her home, which was all hearing, and now she married a deaf man. And so she probably found the hearing world a little bit daunting for her. And she chose not to integrate herself into the community because of the way she was raised. She was always praised for her beauty and she eventually became a beauty queen. And that's all she felt she got Mm -hmm. from her family Mm. who, you know, didn't quite know how to communicate with a girl who was deaf. So because of that, she probably made sure when she became a mom that she would have uh, a, a different approach. And she hoped that it would be uh, with communication in the languages she's comfortable with, because she married a deaf man, she had a deaf son. But then what happened was she got a hearing daughter. <laughs> and so, listen, she loves her daughter. She doesn't love her daughter any differently or less than her son. But her perspective was probably different as a result of the fact that she's hearing. Mm-hmm. There's a really poignant moment in the film where your character uh, sort of levels with her daughter who's hearing and says, I was sort of hoping you would be deaf. 
um, so that we could have a closer relationship or what she thought might be a closer relationship. Um, as a person who was deaf in a hearing family, your parents all learned ASL and your family uh, really did what they could to sort of support you and, and be able to have a fluid communication. I wouldn't say that they were fluent in ASL. Mm. I became fluent at lip reading <laughs> and <laughs> I then matched that up with their ASL as best they could. I mean, it would have been nice if they were more fluent, but naturally I didn't even think that way when I was growing up. Mm. I didn't have the sense of why don't you sign better uh, <laughs> as well as I do. I didn't have that sense from them. Mm. I just was a kid who was fiercely independent mm. and I was extremely curious and I was always yes, asking questions as opposed to wallowing in, in, in self-doubt. I mean, I was busy exploring. I was busy making friends. I was out there doing so many things that um, my parents and my two brothers gave me a foundation that I could be independent like that. Did I hear right that you approached Henry Winkler when you were like 12 and the, the Fonz, for people who have forgotten, and told him that you wanted to be an actor? And then years later, you end up being an Oscar-winning actor, and you're like crashing at his house with his wife? <laughs> That's absolutely right. So what happened was, is he came to visit us in Chicago. He was there for a charity event, and I happened to be working and performing at the Center on Deafness. That's where I sort of, well, it's where I began my acting career. And they invited Henry and his wife, Stacy to watch us perform at the Center. And naturally, I knew who he was because I loved Happy Days. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You know, I had an agenda. I didn't want to miss the opportunity to to talk to him and ask him if it was okay to be an actor in Hollywood, just like him, which I did. <laughs> As he was about to give me advice, someone took Henry aside and said, Henry, don't encourage Marley too much because you know how tough it is for hearing people in this industry. I can't mm -hmm. imagine what it'd be like for deaf people mm -hmm. and she might get disappointed. But Henry, you know, he just nodded his head and he turned around and looked me in the eye and said, Marley, sweetheart, you can be whatever you want to be as long as you set your heart to it and follow your dreams and don't let anyone tell you otherwise. And I listened to that. And eight and a half years later, I was standing on a stage with an Oscar. Cool. But <laughs> as it so happened, after I got the Oscar, there were critics who said, for example, Rex Reed, who said mm. that uh, just the day after I won the Oscar, that my win the night before was the result of a pity vote. Yeah. Wow. And he said that I was a deaf actor playing a deaf role. So how was that considered acting or even the best? <sighs> and I think if I had understood what he was trying to say at the time, I probably would have said something in response. Well, what do you mean? So does that mean that when hearing actors play hearing roles, <laughs> they don't deserve Oscars right, right. too? What, what are you trying to say? I mean, it was hard to understand where to go with my career. And I was just 21. So I flew out to California and when he opened the door, I held up my Oscar. I was so shy. And I just turned my head and said, here, here's my Oscar. <laughs> and they had the biggest, what? they had the biggest smiles on their face. <laughs> and then Henry knew what had been said in the press. And he said the same thing again, you know, Marley, you can be whatever you want to be as long as you believe in yourself, but you're not finished, not by a long shot. Hmm. And so Stacy and Henry said, you know what, why don't you stay for the weekend for a couple of days and we can think it over. And then two years later, Stacy was telling me to clean my room because it was a guest who never left. <laughs> I mean, I had a pool house. Uh, the rent was free. And Stacy made the best brisket west of Chicago. And their support was critical in my career. It was, it was very much needed, very much appreciated. And to this day, 
after knowing them for 40 years, I still thank them. Oh, wow. wow. This is Live Wire Radio. We are talking to Marley Matlin about uh, her career and also her new film, Coda. Um, it's sort of a well-known thing about this film, Marley, that after you were cast, there had been a plan to cast hearing actors in the roles of your husband and son who uh, are deaf in the film, and you were not having that. Were you really ready to walk away from the film if they were going to go forward with that plan? Well, I mean, I have had the opportunity to be in this business for 35 years, and not to denigrate or, you know, say something bad about the industry, I think they're on a learning curve. And mm. whether they, you know, whether I just left alone or decided to walk away, I think when it came to casting, I guess as I got older, I have had enough. I've seen too many times when hearing actors play deaf characters as if they were costumes you could put on and take off at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. I, I just said I was tired of it. I really was. So I felt comfortable in saying and making noise because I, I didn't want to do this alone. And again, not to, not to say something bad about actors who have played disability roles in the past, um, like um, Dustin Hoffman in Rain Man, um, or, or the many others. I mean, listen, I'm a fan of all their work, so there's no, there's no offense here. But I think it's time that we move on from that. And if we want to tell good stories and we want to have authentic actors playing the roles who live with disability, who live with being deaf, you get a more authentic portrayal. You get a more realistic portrayal. I mean, I'm not going to play a different race. I'm not going to play a different disability. It, we're talking about a whole different ballgame. Mm -hmm. And if you can find a bigger name that's that's well known and that can play frank well then go for it i'm not going to be part of it mm. i had to say stop you know i love this film i love the script i love sean Hader, the director and her vision her work and i really love the character of jackie and i can't even imagine playing this role of somebody who is hearing playing deaf it just wouldn't work it, it, it just wouldn't work for the film it wouldn't work for the deaf community it wouldn't work for everybody involved you wouldn't have gotten a, a realistic portrayal. Uh. And I said, I'd walk away. And I wasn't angry. It was just time for me to make my point and speak out. And, and I was nervous. Admittedly, I was nervous uh, because I could have been easily, you know, dismissed. But yet I knew deep down that people would eventually understand. They would get it. Yeah. And they would understand what the point I was trying to make, why it was so critical to have this role played authentically. Uh, your daughter, Ruby, in the film is an amazing singer, uh, which your character has sort of a hard time relating to uh, because of uh, being deaf. I'm curious, though, uh, Marley Matlin, in real life, what is your relationship with music? I know you like Billy Joel and you were on Dancing with the Stars, so it sounds like <laughs> you're pretty into music. I love music. I love music. I have two older brothers who uh, you know, were raised in the 60s and they were true hippies and they really got into music. They introduced me to Billy Joel and to James Taylor. Mm -hmm. And I learned to hear with my eyes and I learned the lyrics and I listened with my hearing aids and I learned the songs and I enjoy music. I enjoy music in my own way, if that makes sense. And um, yeah, there are people out there who are deaf who really love music. Some even um, are um, singers. There's a guy by the name of Sean Forbes. He's a deaf rapper. You should look him up. Um, he's based in Detroit and uh, there are plenty of other people who are deaf who like music. Um, Mandy Harvey, who is deaf, who was on America's Got Talent. She's mm -hmm. deaf and she sings. So 
being on Dancing with the Stars was just a challenge for me. My kids wanted me to be on the show when they asked. I mean, I didn't really know much about the show when I was first asked, but my kids said, mom, you got to do the show. But yeah, when I go to my kids' school concerts and they have recitals or plays or musicals, I'll go with my husband and my husband's hearing and I'll watch and I sit there and, and I try to enjoy it as best as I can in my own way. And I'll check out the other parents who are taking pictures and who are smiling and applauding. But it's just different than the way hearing people look or see concerts, clearly. In getting ready to talk to you, Marley, I uh, I watched a lot of your work and I read a lot of interviews with you. And it struck me that there is no time when you are ever getting to take a break from talking about deafness. Is that exhausting at some point? I mean, would you like, is there a different topic that you want to talk about, like the Chicago Bears or something? <laughs> no, the more we talk about it, the more that people will listen and learn. Mm -hmm. And just spread the message. So why not? It's how you make things happen. It's how you make things work. It's, I mean, it's about collaboration. It's the key. I can't be angry. I can't not want to talk about it because there's not enough people out there who are still not familiar with uh, deaf culture. If, if people weren't familiar, I mean, clearly, I, I, I just have to keep talking. If they, if they were all familiar, then I wouldn't have to say anything anymore about it. But um, I, I just find that it's important to talk about the barriers, walk around the barriers. That's what Henry taught me. Mm -hmm. uh, this film is just getting so much love critically and, uh, of course, at Sundance. And I mean, I don't know. I guess uh, could you win another Oscar just to stick it to Rex Reed? <laughs> <laughs> well, you said it, stick it. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say stick it. I can smile at that, though. I can smile in agreement. <laughs> well, best of luck and really great job on the film. It was just really incredible and, and really heartwarming and funny. Yes. Uh, Marley Matlin, thanks so much for coming on Livewire. And Jack, thank you so much as well. Thank you for listening. That was Marley Matlin right here on Livewire, recorded last September. If you have not yet had a chance to watch Coda, it is out right now on Apple TV. So go check it out. This is Livewire from PRX. We've got to take a quick break. But don't go anywhere because we are going to talk to Kishibashi and also hear a song coming up in just a minute. Stay with us. Livewire is thrilled to be partnering with Portland's own Portal T this season. Formerly known as Tea Chai Tay, Portal Tea is the premier tea company in the Pacific Northwest, and they make one-of-a-kind handcrafted tea blends like cinnamon churro chai and blueberry cream Earl Grey. Use the code LIVEWIRE, all lowercase, for 20% off at portaltea.co. Welcome back to LiveWire. I'm your host, Luke Burbank. I'm here with my friend, Elena Passarello, who also works on the show. It's not like I'm just inviting random friends over to hang just out. Just chilling, you know. Yeah, right? My, <laughs> my pal, Elena Passarello, is here. Our musical guest this week is a multi-instrumentalist who blends pop, rock, electronica, and other forms across his multitude of musical endeavors. He's also been working on a film project that we're going to hear about that just premiered at this year's South by Southwest Festival. His new EP, Emigrant, was released last year. Let's take a listen to our conversation with Kaoru Ishibashi, also known as Kishibashi. We recorded this back in April. Tell me about the creation of this, this new EP, Emigrant. Uh, you were driving across the country with your daughter? Yeah, I ended up uh, 
you know, it's one of those things where last summer, like a lot of musicians, I really didn't have any tours. So I had a whole lot of time. I had this camper. And so I took it across country all the way to Oregon, actually. Um, and on the way, stopped in Montana. And there's a little town called Emigrant. It's beautiful. And, uh, you know, because to emigrate is to leave, you know, in search of a better life. Immigrate is to enter a country, mm -hmm. right? And so it kind of made sense. Like everybody's, you know, we're all trying to figure out, especially myself, you know, since I had all this time about like who I am, like what I'm, where my place is here, like what, what is my role as an artist, et cetera, et cetera. And these are all kind of things that I, I left to find out. It's a, it's the idea that, you know, when you leave the city and you kind of commune with nature, it kind of gives you a sense of like humility and also like a, an idea of like what it might've actually looked like a hundred years ago. Mm. You've been working on another project as well, right? That's being described as kind of a song film. Yeah, so Omoyari, the uh, same name as my album that came out a couple of years ago, is uh, it's a documentary about uh, minority identity and kind of like this Japanese American experience and also, you know, history. So like internment camps um, and a lot of World War II history. And well, first of all, there's there's some camps out. The, the internment camps were all in these very remote areas. So and I definitely did got a chance to like see a lot of them when I was out there. Um, did you then come back to Georgia with the memories in your head and start actually sitting down and writing the music or were you writing it along the way? Uh, I think it's kind of along the way. I mean, the way my music process works is I just collect, collect, collect ideas. And then I put thoughts down. It's not, you know, I can never just sit down in one place, like at a cafe and, <laughs> or, you know, it's, it's always just a collection of a year's work of just thinking and improvising and songwriting. Speaking of cafes, I have to tell you, my brother uh, lives in Georgia and sent me a bunch of coffee because he was trying to patronize his favorite local <laughs> businesses. Sure. And I pulled out this bag of coffee and it had your name on it. <laughs> yeah, I got, I got my own coffee. How cool How did that? that come about? I was so excited <laughs> to drink your coffee. It was delicious, yeah. by the it's, way. Uh, oh, thanks. Yeah. Uh, well, there's this great roaster. Uh, it's called Jittery Joe's in Athens. And it's great. It's local. They make the best coffee. So, uh, I, I partnered up with them, did like a tasting and the roasters like my buddy, you know, so he, Aha. he got some, okay. some great beans. Are you a coffee connoisseur? Like, do you know what's going on when you're doing the tasting? Um, I can tell what I like and I can, I can tell what I don't like. And, uh, so, <laughs> so no, <laughs> no, but, uh, but I like coffee. I love coffee. Yeah. It's part of my life, you know, at least in the morning it is. What are the overriding flavor notes of the Kishibashi blend? Uh, hints of Asian and violin. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe some empathy. Some Recently. rosin. There's a little bit of... <laughs> some rosin, yeah. yeah. Well, what song are we going to hear? Uh, yeah, I'm going to do a song called Wait for Springtime. This is a song... I actually finished it, you know, in Emigrant. Um, it's kind of just about metaphorical springtime, you know, after COVID. is what I, <laughs> the way I imagined it. All right, well, let's hear it. This is Kishibashi on the Live Wire House Party. And the magic of the seasons, the second to no one. We came to gather in springtime. Summer came too fast And the acre of our hill Sunny, big and small T'was empty in the winter I'll just wait for springtime 
And I wanted you so savage As a gentleman admire The most famous of the sinners Me was silenced all but one I was reaching for the stars But the rockets fell Oh, the view on earth is magic I'll just wait for springtime Sunny days are behind Every cloud up in the sky Winter's coming from above and below We'll be ready somehow Heaven save us for now Heaven save us from the rain Wait for springtime And they sentenced us forever In prison for no crime Our hearts are made of tender With no room to nickel or dime When the carriage stops at night Will you think of my farewell? The music plays in silence I'll just wait for springtime Wait for springtime Sunny days are behind every cloud up in the sky Winter's coming from above and below We'll be ready somehow Heaven save us for now Heaven save us from the rain Wait for springtime That was Kishibashi right here on Livewire. He is back out on the road, as so many of our musical guests are once again. And you can figure out when he'll be in a city near you by going to kishibashi.com. All right, before we get out of here, a little preview of next week's show. We are going to be talking to acclaimed chef, two-time Top Chef finalist on Bravo, Gregory Gorday. We're going to talk about addiction and recovery and the restaurant industry and this amazing cookbook that he has out and also how his Haitian heritage inspired his latest restaurant undertaking. We're also going to talk to Julian Saporiti about how he transformed his doctoral research on Asian American history into concerts and albums and films all under the name No No Boy. It's this really incredible multimedia history project he's been doing. Uh, we're also going to be looking to get your answers to our listener question, which is what this week, Elena? What is your surprising cooking hack? Mm. Quesadilla in the toaster. I just like to throw a slice of 
American cheese just right on a cracker. Is that a cooking hack? <laughs> that's a cooking snack. <laughs> okay. Oh, that's different. Yeah. All right. If you have a cooking hack that you would like to share with us, you can uh, let us know by way of social media. We are at Livewire Radio uh, just about everywhere where social media is happening. That's going to do it for this week's episode of Livewire. A huge thanks to our guests, Lacey Mosley, Marley Matlin, and Kishibashi. Livewire is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines. Special thanks this episode to Joshua, Leek, and the Portland Film Festival. Laura Haddon is our executive producer. Heather D. Michelle is our executive director. Tim Harkins is our development and marketing director. Our producer and editor is Melanie Sevchenko, and our assistant editor is Trey Hester. A. Walker Spring composes our music. Molly Pettit is our technical director and mixer. Viviana Castillo-Serrano is our intern. Additional funding provided by the Oregon Arts Commission, a state agency funded by the state of Oregon and the National Endowment for the Arts. Livewire was created by Robin Tenenbaum and Kate Sokoloff. This week, we'd like to thank members Brenda Hunt of Portland, Oregon, and Nathaniel Holtman of Tacoma, Washington. For more information about our show or how you can listen to our podcast or our weekly best news podcast, head on over to livewireradio.org. I'm Luke Burbank for my pal Elena Passarello and the whole Livewire crew. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. Dear Livewire, when we first met, I was really shy. I had no idea we'd spend so much time together or that you'd be one to fill my heart with with joy and make me want to be a better person. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were here. I was busy reading a review from one of our many, many rapturously smitten listeners. Oh, wait, actually, no, sorry. This is from Elena. Anyway, the point is, uh, it would be really helpful if you wanted to leave us a review Feel free to say really nice things about us, and uh, we'll even read them now and then on the show. So you might hear your review of Livewire read on the program itself. Uh, Reviews help other people hear about the show, and then we can keep doing this for a long, long time, because we love having this job. Uh, Thank you so much if you've left a review, and if you're about to leave a review, you can go ahead and do it right where you get the podcast. 